Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for being with us. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be here for your presence and for you to speak. Amen. This past summer, I was studying for the GRE, which is the Graduate School Entrance Exam. And part of this test is, some of you have taken it, you probably know it has the math part and it has the verbal parts. And the verbal parts have sentences that have blanks in them. And sometimes it's one blank, sometimes it's two or three. And you have to just choose the right words that match the best. So in order to do this, I had to study. I mean, there was no way I knew all these words. And so I put on my phone an app with words, with flashcards, that would just go through all these different words. And I did that a lot. But there was one word that every time I came to it, it would always kind of stop me in my tracks, and I had to think about it. And this word is the word untrammeled. And the reason why it would always stop me in my track is because of the sentence that they used as an example for this word in order for it to stick in our minds. And it did stick from that. The sentence went something like this, because I don't really have the app anymore, but um, this is what I remember. Only if you live an untrammeled life will you be truly happy. So what does untrammeled mean? It means to be, to not be limited, to have no boundaries, to be free, to do whatever you want to do. So in other words, this sentence says, only if you live a truly free life with no boundaries will you be happy. And it made me think. God has given us freedom, even freedom to choose evil. But yet we sometimes feel like God is limiting us, like he has put boundaries. And there are so many people who complain, well, if I become a Christian, there is just too many rules. In fact, Satan said the exact same thing. He said, well, God, you are a tyrant, really. And nobody should be following you because it's just an illusion that you give real freedom. It's not real. And he managed to convince third of the angels that God's government was not just and he was not really about freedom. And then he turned towards the human race. Well, how did humans react to his offer? Well, we know the story. It's in chapter 3. But we're, I'm actually going to start in chapter 1 with verse 26 because it sets up the story. So chapter 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And what does it mean, let us? Why is God saying let us? I asked this question in the youth Sabbath school last week because that, we were talking about the same topic. And they said, well, it's right here. In the next verse, and I said, you're right. So God created man in his own image. So we know it is God talking about himself. But why is God introducing himself as we? Because God is a relational God. God, who's part of the Trinity, one and three. And he experienced what it means to be truly loving in an awesome community and fellowship. And so God wanted that for others. 
And so this plural, this God, this plural God creates plural we. Divine we creates a human we. God made us into a relationship with each other and with him. That's why he says, it is not good for man to be alone. And then the next thing that he gave us after he created us was the Sabbath, a gift for us to get to know God better, to deepen our relationship with him. He put us in the most spectacular garden we could ever imagine, and he gave us absolutely everything we could ever want. Health beauty, relationships, and above all, he gave us himself, a relationship with the divine we. And he walked with Adam and Eve, and he talked to them, and he told them all the different things that have happened in heaven so far. He told, he told them about him, about who he was, and also about Satan and what Satan will try to do. And then it happened. Satan made his move. Now let's go to chapter 3. Thank you, Ryan, for reading this for us. Verse 1. Now Hanahash, the serpent, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made, which the Lord God had made. The author doesn't really have to say much else. Just say, the serpent. Because everyone knew that that meant Satan. The devil using the serpent. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? This question really seems a little ridiculous to us. Why would he be asking, Well, did God really say that you cannot eat out of any tree in the garden? It's ridiculous because then they wouldn't have any food. But this question that seems ridiculous is brilliant. Through this one question, Satan is trying to implant a bunch of thoughts and doubts into Eve's mind. Number one, he wants her to think that God is a tyrant because he didn't let them eat from that one tree, so even that one tree must mean that God does not give them true freedom. Number two, he wants her to think that evil is Relative. If I say that this is evil, then it's evil. If you say that it is not evil, then it's not evil to you. And there's one more thing that he wants her to think through this one, one question. And it is his use of the name for God, Elohim. There are two terms for God that are used the most often throughout the Bible, Elohim and Yahweh. Elohim means a transcendent God, God who is powerful. And because he's powerful and different than us, he is a far-removed God. But because that is not the only description of God, the Bible also uses Yahweh. And Yahweh describes the characteristics of God that he wants to be close to us. That this is a personal God who loves us and wants a relationship with us. And the Hebrews, to the Hebrews, this term was so special and sacred that they didn't even say it out loud. Whenever they would read through the Bible and they would read it out loud, they would never say Yahweh. 
That's why we don't even know for sure if that's if what it was pronounced like, because the pronunciation was not preserved. They would read, and instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Adonai, the Lord. And that's why throughout the Bible we have the Lord as translation all throughout. It's, it comes from Yahweh. And many times the authors would put the two together. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Both together. It makes sense because those are both equally important descriptions of God. But Satan wants Eve to think that God is only Elohim. That he is not this close God, that he is not her God. Because he knew that if she thought of God as her God, she would make different decisions in that moment. And so he says, Elohim has said that you should not eat of any tree. Now let's see the way she responds. Did she actually fall for any of these ideas that he wanted to implant? So then the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. She says, what tree was this? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But she does not name it because she is starting to think, oh, well, maybe this tree is not what I was told that it is. And so Jesus says, it's the tree in the midst of the garden. And then he continues, says, Elohim has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. She fell for it completely. And then she added, God said you should not even touch it, when God never said that. Because this was in her mind. She had already been thinking about it. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent here is the first commentator on God's character. What, Eve? But Eve, 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 no, no, no. You got this all wrong. That's not what God meant at all. He meant you will be as wise as he is if you eat of this fruit. You will indeed be just like God himself. That's when you will truly be who you should be. The desire to be great takes over. The serpent offers untrammeled freedom, it seems. And they grab the fruit. And I imagine Satan being all proud of himself afterwards, coming up to God, saying, you see, I was right. Nobody wants your government. They chose me, not you. They want their freedom just like me. And what happens after they eat the fruit? What does this freedom give them? Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Yahweh Elohim among the trees of the garden. It's interesting that that is repeated there in the verse twice. Now they, be, now they start being frantic. 
they have to do something. So they realize they're naked, they have to make some clothes, then suddenly they hear God, they hear him, don't see him anymore. And so now they have to figure out what to do. And they start running through the garden, getting away from God. How sad. It must have been for God to see these humans who he so loved, who he was the first thing they saw after he created them, when they opened their eyes. And now they don't want to be near him. They run. And not only are they running, they are running towards the middle of the garden. The same terminology here is used as, I, as Eve used. They're going to the midst of the garden. Where do they end up? Behind the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How can that be possible? That they're so confused that they run from God towards the place where they fell. And the contrast is great between the way God comes in. God comes in walking calmly, steady, just as he has always been, in the cool of the day to talk to them. And you see their frenzy and then God's calmness. Still the same. And no matter what they have done, he still loves them. They are confused. Why are they so confused? Well, the answer is in verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. If you've ever looked at this verse and you thought, well, this is really confusing, you're not alone. It is confusing, and I'll tell you why. I'm going to put a Hebrew word in this that's, that's there, and then I'm, I'll give you a comparison to a different verse. Okay, so follow me. Behold, the man, haya, is the word to be, like one of us, to know good and evil. I want you to turn to verse 1 again. We've already seen this one. And I'm going to put it in there again because it is the exact same word in there. It says, Now the serpent, haya, more cunning than any beast. Did you notice the difference? The translation is different, isn't it? One says the serpent was, and the other one says... Man has become. Well, only one of them can be correct if it is the exact same thing. And only one is correct. Over time, this verse by the Septuagint had been changed to has become, but the original Hebrew says was. Because this verse is saying, behold, the man was like one of us knowing good and evil. It doesn't make sense that suddenly they get some greater mental capacity When they disobey, they are not wiser and better. They lose the ability to be able to discern between good and evil. That's what this means, knowing good and evil, is discerning, is moral discernment. And they lose it. And we know that we have lost it because we need God to show us that we're doing something wrong. 
Man was like one of us. We were able to tell the difference between good and evil, and now they can't. And so instead of running towards God, they run away from him. We wanted untrammeled lives, right? What has happened to our we? The we that has chosen freely what Satan calls freedom. Well, the blame game begins right away. Oh, no, no. They, it's not my fault. It's her fault. She gave it to me. Oh, no, 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 no. The serpent, he's the one who made me do it. And we still blame each other, don't we? We have a hard time accepting when we do something wrong. And then we go to the next story in the Bible, and it records a murder. We go from perfect relationships to murder in just one chapter. And then it spirals, and evil gets worse and worse and worse until God knows that he has to intervene or there will be nobody left to save, and so he sends the flood. And then he has to start over and over and over. And now if we fast forward to today, what do we have now? What has the we achieved in its freedom. Our, wo- our world is plagued with wars, nuclear weapons being unleashed, genocides, homicides, terrorist attacks, hate. We have divorce and marital problems. We can't keep our marriages together or we just don't commit at all. We attend Christian schools where partying is more common than Bible study. And we believe that our human wisdom trumps the Bible because after all, if science shows it, if our research shows it, then it has to be right. We have created God into our image. And God who is easy to manipulate, who is supposed to do exactly what I want, and if he doesn't, well, then I don't want to have anything to do with him. A psychiatrist once told me that If you were in a room and you asked anyone who was on depression medicine or anxiety medicine to raise their hands, there would be more than half the room raising their hands. We want to be happy, but we don't know how. And so we go to the partying and watching TV, playing video games, working out, going to sports, You name it. It took one act of pride, wanting to be like God, forgetting that we were already made in his image. And we have been striving to get it all back ever since. Because we still want it, don't we? We still want to be healthy. We still want to be beautiful. I was just listening on the way to Vespers last night, to the Youth Vespers, with my husband to WGTS, and they were saying, the announcers were saying, that the average woman will spend over $300,000 on beauty products throughout her lifetime. That number just blew me away. We still want it, and we also long for those loving relationships. God gave us all of it, but we threw it away. We didn't want it. What has happened to the we that God created? We were deceived. We were deceived into thinking that with God, we wouldn't have everything. 
that this untrammeled life we want, the freedom we crave, only comes from outside of God. But I praise God because that is not the end of the story. Because to God, that could not be the end of the story. That's not who he is. He didn't just say, oh, well, too bad. You did this to yourself. Just keep living with it now. No. He said, I still love you, and I have something for you. He had a plan. And verse 15 is the heart, the middle of this chapter. gives us a beautiful promise of what God said he was going to do. First he tells the serpent, you're going to crawl on your belly. And then he says, and I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your seed and her seed with capital S, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The woman did give birth and she gave birth to a seed with a capital S, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled this promise on the cross because as he died on the cross, the serpent bit him in his heel And so he had to die on the cross, but he crushed the serpent on the cross. But although Christ crushed the serpent, that was not his main mission for why he came to earth. His main mission was to mend the broken human we. He came to put an enmity between Satan and us. Because he knew that once we had sin, we were being pulled towards evil constantly. And so he had to put something in there. He had to break it. And only God can give us freedom from the attachments that Satan throws into our lives. There was once a Maharaja who was known for having beautiful gardens, three beautiful gardens. And a certain businessman decided that he wanted to see these gardens because he had heard so much about them. And he came to visit him. And the Maharaja showed him everything else that he had, but this man just kept waiting for the gardens. That's all he wanted to see. So then finally it came the time for him to see the gardens, and he walked into the first garden, And he just says, wow, this is so amazing. I can't believe something like this exists. And he turns to the Maharaja and says, so who takes care of this garden for you? And he says, well, this garden is taken care of by my slaves. And the businessman says, okay, well, that makes sense. That's why it is so well taken care of. And the man takes him, the Maharaja takes him to the next garden. And when he walks into this garden, he is amazed because this garden is even more beautiful than the first one. And he cannot believe his eyes. And he finally asks, so who takes care of this garden for you? And the Maharaja says, this one is taken care of by day laborers. They come here and they work on it and I pay them at the end of the day and they go home. And the businessman thinks, okay, well, that makes sense. Obviously, if they get paid for it, they do an even better job than the slaves. Then he takes them to the third garden. And as this man walks into the garden, he is speechless. 
He doesn't even know how to describe what he's looking at. And then when he finally finds his voice, he says, okay, so you have to tell me who takes care of this garden? And the Maharaja says, well, this one actually is taken care of by people who come here for free. They do the work for free. They volunteer. I don't give them anything for it. And the businessman says, wait, 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 wait. That doesn't make sense. How can this garden be so beautiful if there are people who just come and volunteer? And the Maharaja says, well, that's because these are not just any people. These are people who owed me a large debt. And I forgave it all. And because of their gratitude, they come here every day and work on this garden for me. We have so much to be thankful for to God. He never, ever abandoned us. He does not abandon us now. No matter what we do, what we choose, or don't choose, he still is there. Every day. I want him to be my Yahweh. The one who is so close to me that I will make every decision because I know who my God is. And I hope that that is something we all want. I want to invite you to take the connection card out. And there's a statement on the back that says, I thank God that he has chosen to restore me to himself through his sacrifice on the cross. And if that is something that you believe today, Go ahead and check it off. Because sometimes we need to do something tangible for us to really have it stick in our minds. And maybe you are here, you have been coming here for a while, but you have not really given your heart to God and given your life to God completely and totally. This is your chance also. There is another box over here on the right that says... I would like to discover more about baptism. And if you would like to get baptized and give your life completely to God, go ahead and check that box. Our God loves us with everything he's got. And all we need to do is say, Lord, I want that. I want you in my life. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for never, ever letting us go. For your promise of restoration. You can mend our broken hearts. You can mend 
our broken lives. You can make us new. And Lord, we're standing here. We're here before you. Wanting that. We want that new life that you promise. Lord, break those attachments of Satan that he puts in our lives. Give us that freedom that only you can give. Pray this in your name. Amen.